Good morning and welcome to worship at First Baptist Church, Savannah, Georgia on this Ascension Sunday. We are so glad that all of you were able to join us today as we gather to worship our God in this good place. Uh, everyone present here today is invited to sign one of the pew registers when they are passed a bit later in the service for that always helps us to know each other better. And we would say to you, if you are a guest, a visitor among us, uh, how much we value your presence and how much we would look forward to meeting you and getting to know you better at worship's end. Once again, welcome to all. Would you join me now in the call to worship? Lord, we've come this morning seeking your presence, but it's hard to settle in when so many things cloud our minds. Even in your house, it's hard to pay attention. We are here trusting that you will get our attention through some song sung, some witness raised, some scripture unfolded, some gesture offered. Let us all pray together. Christ Jesus, who calls us from wherever we are to step into the water and experience new life. You've called us to see the world as you do, and to embrace the new life you have called us to. So as we worship you today, may our praises speak of the God who does not leave us as we are, who brings us out of darkness into marvelous light, the God who washes our sins, and the God who makes us and all things new. Amen.
Will you join me as we affirm our faith together? We believe in God, creator of all, who has called us to work together to build a world wherein the unity, peace, and joy of God's kingdom shall prevail. We believe in Jesus Christ, who suffered, died, and rose again for us, that we might learn to live for others and find hope in his victory over death. We believe in the Spirit, in the power of truth, in the triumph of love, and in the reality of God's sustaining presence with us now. We believe in the church, the unity and fellowship to which all are called, that we may heal the brokenness of life and find everlasting joy in fellowship with Christ our Lord. years now, Baptist Christians have practiced the ordinance of baptism. It recalls our Lord's own baptism by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, but it's also symbolic of our own commitments of dying to the life we formerly knew and rising to life anew with Christ. This outward symbol of an inward experience is a good reminder for all of us of the commitments that we have made. This morning, we have the privilege of sharing this moment of Christian commitment with two persons, two you know very well, Madeline Jan Campbell and Camille Grace Heidel. Both of them have grown up in this place. They have been cared for by you, by their church family. And now they profess their faith in Jesus Christ and their desire to be baptized. So as their church family, would you now tell them what you want them to know through the unison blessing in your order of worship? We thank God for your faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. We happily welcome you into the church of Jesus Christ and into the membership of this congregation. We will do the work of Christ together, cooperatively, compassionately, and courageously. We celebrate the joy of your salvation. We praise God for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We witness your baptism in the name of God, Creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit. So, Madeline, before your church family, I ask you to profess your faith and tell us who is your Lord. Jesus is Lord. Then upon your profession of faith, I baptize you, my sister in Christ, Madeline Jan Campbell, in the name of God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We also welcome this morning Dr. Gene Wilder, 
who is retired pastor of First Baptist Church of Jefferson City, City, Tennessee, but he is probably better known as Camille's grandfather. And so he comes this morning to baptize her. First, let me take this opportunity to thank you as a congregation and particularly to thank your pastor, Dr. Finley, for allowing me to be a part of this very special occasion in the faith journey of my grandfather, uh, my, my granddaughter. I'm the grandfather. It's a very special occasion for me, and I thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. This is Camille Heidel, who has professed her faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Camille, will you now, before this congregation, profess your faith as, in Jesus as Lord? Jesus is Lord. In obedience to the command of my Lord and my Savior, and upon the profession of your faith in Jesus Christ, I now baptize you, Camille Grace Heidel, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This is my granddaughter in whom I am well pleased. Let us remember the great commission given to us by Jesus when he said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded, and surely I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. lesson is from the book of Acts. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kendake, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself? or someone else. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. 
Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. The second lesson comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, starting in verse 15 and ending in, on verse 23. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all saints, and for this reason I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him so that, with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet, and has made him the head over all things for, for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here ends the second reading. Our gospel lesson for today is taken from the gospel according to Luke chapter 24 and beginning to read with verse 44. Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is the written word of the Lord. Some of you have heard me say before that one of my favorite observations on evangelism as currently practiced in the Christian church comes from Dr. Tom Long, who has recently concluded a very distinguished teaching career at both Princeton Seminary and the Candler School of Theology at Emory University, commenting on why he thought so many people seem to be turned off by Christianity these days and are closed to the gospel. Long says the part of the reason is that people today regard evangelism as somewhat like professional wrestling. It's a little bit contrived at times, often involves a great deal of manipulation, and before it's over, somebody gets hurt. Is it any wonder, asked Tom Long, that some persons are not very receptive to the message of Jesus Christ? Some people, I think, will always be easier to win to faith in Christ than others. This morning, as we have celebrated Christian baptism with two young friends, I'm thinking about my own grandmother, who was brought to Christian commitment by her parents, joined a Baptist church in her small Missouri town and then was baptized on a cold Sunday in January 
in the backwaters of the Mississippi River north of St. Louis. They had to break the ice, so they said, to baptize her. I think of my own conversion experience and baptism on a blistering hot July weekend as I professed faith that I had come to naturally having grown up in a Christian home. Some of us came to faith pretty easily. But what about the others? What of the men and women and young people all around us who are not a part of the church's culture and are consequently more difficult to reach? How do we share Christ with them and lead them to faith without making evangelism look contrived or manipulative or painful? Well, in the story we heard just a few moments ago, we discover some clues from the life of Philip. He was one of the many enthusiastic young Christians in the early church. Philip, according to scripture, was also led by the Spirit of the Lord. God told him to leave Jerusalem and to head south on the road that leads toward Gaza. That word translated here, south, can also mean at noon or midday, in which case God sent him to a certain place at a certain time for a purpose. As Philip went on his journey, he soon overtook a man traveling in a chariot. He was an officer of the Ethiopian queen. Although we never ever learned this man's name, five times in the story we are told that he was in fact an Ethiopian eunuch, which is to say a man who had been castrated, perhaps at a very young age. He was a man incapable of fathering children, a dried up man without much life in him, a man in the middle of a dried up place, a place like the desert. The indignity that had been done to this man had consigned him to a life of loneliness and isolation. He may have been powerful and wealthy as the treasurer of the Ethiopian queen, but he had no fully expressed life of intimacy, no family, no children, no real home. And moreover, he is from, of all places, Ethiopia, that far-off place which many ancient people considered to be the place where the sun sets, the farthest nation of mankind. And yet, somehow, this man had heard about the God of Israel and wanted to know more. We can imagine that he longed for the acceptance and the love of God as well as the welcome and the friendship of other people. And so, with that, he had gone to Jerusalem from Ethiopia hoping to find that kind of God and community. But what he would have found at the temple was just the opposite. For the religious leaders of that day would have told him that the law of Moses prevented a man like him from even entering that holy place of worship. They would have told him that on the basis of what Deuteronomy 23 and Leviticus 21 has to say. A eunuch, a man whose sexual identity they judged to be unacceptable to God, could never ever find a place within the assembly of the Lord. They would have turned him away. Their Bible said as much. He would never be allowed to call the temple his spiritual home. What happened to the Ethiopian eunuch in Jerusalem is what unfortunately too many people experience at the hands of God's people even today. Condemnation, rejection, exclusion. Among many other things, this story reminds us that the gospel also has something to say to the people who live out there on the fringes of society the outsiders, the people who live on the far edges of our world. 
always in the gospel accounts, we see Jesus invariably reaching out to these people, the powerless, the outcasts, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the diseased, the widows, and the orphans. I wonder who they would be in our day and time. Perhaps they are undocumented immigrants from Mexico or Central America, or persons who have felt excluded because of mental illness or homelessness, their race or economic class or a failed marriage, their sexual orientation or gender identity. Whoever they may be, this story tells us that Jesus Christ is for them as well. And the church must take notice of them and welcome them. But how to go about that? Theodore Ferris once said that there are just two ways to spread anything in which you have a great personal interest. The first is to live it yourself, and the second is to talk about it. Now there is much to be said about that first approach. If you want to show another person how much you value something in your life, well, you should show it by the way you live. The way we attract other people to a cause that we believe in is by demonstrating it in our lives. The way to spread Christianity is for Christians to live it. But it's not the only way. And that is because we also spread the things we believe in by talking about them. Great causes and ideas and issues are transmitted from one person to another by persuasion. And that, you see, is exactly what Philip did in this story. When Philip pulled up alongside that chariot headed south for Ethiopia, he noticed that the eunuch was reading aloud from the prophet Isaiah. Prompted by the Spirit, Philip jumped up on what must have been the running board of the chariot and asked a leading question. Do you understand what you're reading? He listened first, and then he spoke. But he didn't say to the man, well now, an Ethiopian like you probably doesn't understand at all what, what Isaiah is talking about there. Would you like for me to tell you all about it? He didn't say that. No, Philip listened, and then he responded in genuine concern, and the end result was an opening to share the gospel, to tell this other person about Jesus Christ. Now, what do you suppose would have happened had Philip met this man with his own agenda and had, been, had not been sensitive to his needs? The Ethiopian might never, ever have believed but Philip did what every loving evangel does, what you and I do at our best, and that is to begin where people are in their journeys of faith. Usually that involves searching for a point of contact. We would ask about his family, or we would inquire about what classes she was taking in college or what his business profession was, or what personal interests she pursues in life. In Philip's case, the man had questions about scripture. He was likely a Jewish convert already, who had been to Jerusalem attempting to worship. And so that is where Philip began, the point from which he would tell the man about Christ. You might be interested to know that the great Baptist New Testament scholar A.T. Robertson once said that without a doubt, Philip told the Ethiopian eunuch about faith in Jesus and conversion, but he must have also said something to him about baptism. We know that because as the man came to believe, he said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent my being baptized? Perhaps he was wondering if the fact that he was a foreigner or his place of authority or his unusual status as a eunuch would somehow prevent him from becoming a Christian too. 
Would he be prevented from following Jesus in the same way that they had kept him out of the temple in Jerusalem? He wanted to know, what is to prevent my being baptized? And of course, Philip realized that there wasn't a thing in the world to prevent it. And so he was. It may just be that this story, which Luke tells us, is one of the more unlikely scenes in the entire book of Acts. For goodness sakes, it's a story about a baptism that takes place in the middle of a desert. Think of it. It's the account of a dried up man with little or no life in him, springing up to eternal life through his faith in Christ. It's the story of a person from the far reaches of humanity, an outcast who is not at all a part of Philip's people, becoming a part of the people of God. It happened in no small measure because of Philip, who not only lived out his faith, but opened his mouth and spoke a word about Jesus Christ. And so it is with every one of us, with every disciple who will be led by Christ's Spirit and not simply proof text, isolated passages of Scripture, but who will listen to others first and be sensitive by beginning where others are and then offer their own witness about the radical love of our God and of God's Son, Jesus Christ, who welcomes us all. A church I know in Missouri, not long ago, one to faith in Christ, a young man whose life had never ever before been touched by the gospel. But through the actions and the kind words of the members of that congregation, he discovered God's love and came to believe in Jesus. When it came time for that young man to be baptized, he told his pastor, now, I don't want to be baptized at the church. I want it to be in a river. And so one Sunday afternoon, a few weeks later, a group of people met at the church and they started out in their cars for the river. They went down the main highway and then they turned off onto a gravel road. And finally, they went through a farmer's gate on which was posted a sign that actually read. The pastor told me this himself. The sign actually read, if you're not prepared to pay, don't enter here. Down to the riverbank, they all went the young man, his minister, and those friends who had won him to faith in Jesus Christ. They sang some hymns, and someone said a prayer, and then into the river they waded, and there with his back pointed upstream in the direction of his past sins and failures, and his face pointed downstream toward a future bright with promise, that young man was baptized. The outcast, one from the farthest edge, came home and was made to be a part of the family. The fortunate people in this world are people who can remember an experience like that in their own lives or who shared a part in someone else coming to Christian faith and baptism. By God's grace, that was Philip's experience. And by God's grace, it can be ours as well. Thanks be to God for such a good gift. And let us pray. We give you thanks, our Father, for these moments together. You have made us to be your children, not because we have been good enough 
or because we have believed enough or because we have prayed enough, but because you have promised salvation in Jesus Christ if we will only receive it. Help us to be children of that covenant. And as we remember the waters of our own baptisms this morning, may we be willing to share the transforming power of the gospel with all the world. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Jesus promised that if he would be lifted up, he would draw all persons to himself. Let us ask our God this morning to draw us to Christ by faith so that we may live to serve him and look toward eternal life. Let us join our hearts together now as we pray silently and then as we offer to our God the prayers of God's people this day. Let us pray.
Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, you have lifted up our Lord Jesus from death into life eternal and set him over all persons in every nation. We confess to you that we have not always bowed before him or acknowledged his rule in our lives. Too many times we have gone along with the way of the world and have been careless of others. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. Forgive us, O God, and lift us out of our sin. Lord, in your mercy. Great and merciful Lord, by your power alone is Jesus raised to be Savior of all and ruler of the nations. We thank you that he commands our lives, that he lifts our hopes, and that he leads us into faith. We praise you for his love, which embraces the world and works compassion in us. Allow that same mercy to be seen in our lives as this morning we intercede for all of your children who need your help, victims of terrorism in Manchester, those disrupted by tornadoes in our own region this past week, those whose lives are shattered week by week by bombs in the Middle East, those who are hungry and homeless in Savannah and who slept on River Street last night, and hear us also as we pray for our friends and family members who are hurting or healing or grieving or suffering. Lord, in your mercy. O oh, gracious God, as we remember on this Memorial Day weekend all those who sacrificed their lives for our country, help us to recall all those other persons who went before us in the faith and upon whose shoulders we now stand. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of all times and places, your thoughts are not our thoughts, your ways are not our ways, and you are lifted high above our little lives. Even so, visit us by your Holy Spirit Rule our minds, renew our church, and help us to celebrate our risen Christ with joy and singing this day. And hear us as we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, using the words that he taught his disciples when he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us give this morning in the spirit of the one whose grace overflows all human boundaries, whose love knows no limits, and whose generosity knows no measure.
us pray. Gracious God, we give these gifts because you ask us to share. We pray that you would enable us to be more dedicated disciples, readily sharing our time and abilities through the ministries of this church. And we dedicate this offering and our lives to your service, that the hungry may be fed, the powerless be healed, and the stranger welcomed in our midst. May your love in Christ be felt by people near and far whose lives are touched by service offered in your name. We pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. The invitation to Christian discipleship is offered now. I ask you, what better day than today to profess your own faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or to come expressing the desire to unite with his church, which meets in this place. As we sing the hymn and as you respond, we would receive you this day with great joy. Sunday, it is our joy at First Baptist Church to welcome new friends and sometimes returning friends. And I won't take time to list all of the places, but we have uh, visitors from South Carolina, Louisiana, Missouri, Texas, and uh, here in our own city of Savannah. Uh, thank you for sharing the last uh, hour with us. And if you are our guest, do give our people an opportunity to greet you in the name of Christ. They would like very much to do that. Quickly, by way of announcement, immediately following this worship service, there is going to be a reception just across the street in Lewis Hall on the first floor of our education building, honoring Faye Anderson, our longtime administrative assistant and senior minister's secretary, who will be retiring next month uh, after more than 14 years of service to First Baptist Church. So we hope that all of you will stay. Uh, for a time of uh, wonderful food and fellowship and the opportunity to tell Faye uh, what she has meant to our church across these years. And now Reverend Caldwell has this announcement. As she makes her way forward, I will tell you that this next week, Betsy Sutton will be leaving to serve her third summer with Passport 
Mission Camp, and they're going to begin at Averett University in Danville, Virginia, and then midway through the summer they'll go to Furman in Greenville, South Carolina. And this summer Betsy's role changes just a little bit. She's going to be the Mission Project Coordinator, um, which means that she is in charge of making sure every teenager has a mission site to go to all summer long. Uh, make sure they have the supplies that they need and that they actually do what they're supposed to be doing. So um, I have done Betsy's job in the past and it is anything but easy. And so um, we wish her well as her church family and we want to say a prayer for her as she goes. So would you pray with me as we commission her? Loving God, we offer our prayers for Betsy <clears throat> this morning. We know she accepts your call willingly, but we also know that it does not come without difficulty. Give her confidence and an awareness that you are present when she is afraid or feels overwhelmed. Give her courage when she is unsure, and give her knowledge that you have prepared her for what she will encounter. Give her rest when she is exhausted, and patience when the challenge seems too much. And God, above all, give her joy, the joy of serving in your name, of interacting with so much of your creation, and of being able to share your message and your heart with others. We pray for her team and that their ministry this summer would be transformative for the teenagers and the adults who come to them. We pray for the churches who will be traveling and for their safety. We pray for the cities of Danville and Greenville and the persons with whom these teenagers will work. May they learn from one another and learn more about you as they work together. And God, as Betsy spends her summer preaching and living out your message of doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with you, help her to know that she is loved by you and is supported by her friends and her family at home. We pray your blessings upon her as she goes. And we challenge her just as you challenge all of us as we leave this place to find people who are discouraged and encourage them with hope, to see people who are divided and surprise them with friendship, to seek out people who are afraid and surround them with love, and to go out into the world and be a channel for the grace of God, the love of Christ, and the fellowship of the Spirit. Amen.